I'm Scott Aniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Well, I want to thank all who regularly listen to this podcast, have had good response through email and social media, and I'm encouraged by those who have listened and downloaded the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, I encourage you to share it on social media. Uh, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or other services that helps us spread the word. And if you have any suggestions or questions for topics to cover in future podcast episodes, I'd be glad to hear those. And you can feel free to email scottannual at gmail.com and uh, just let me know topics that you'd like to see discussed, and I'd be happy to address those in future episodes. Well, today I want to discuss the issue of culture. There's lots of discussions of culture today. People talk about culture, redeeming culture, interacting with culture, multiculturalism, a lot of discussion of culture, but it's sort of like that line, uh, you keep using that word, but I'm not sure the word means what you think it means. There's a lot of lack of understanding, I think, as to the nature of culture and in particular categories of culture that we, we face in the 21st century. So I'd like to give a little bit of background and history to the development of the idea of culture, and then spend a little bit of time talking about categories of culture so that we as Christians today can navigate biblically the culture around us. The English word culture finds its Latin roots in discussions of cultivation and care of livestock and crops. It was first used as a metaphor to describe uh, differences between groups of people, similarly to how we use it today, really no earlier than 1776. So the way that we use it today is a fairly new use of that word that has Latin roots. It was used by a German philosopher, Johann Herder, in books discussing differences between groups of people in the late 18th century, and he used that word as a metaphor. And then the idea of culture and the use of that word and that metaphor began to develop over time, and it sort of changed its meaning throughout the next couple of hundred years to how it's used today. The word culture was first used in a sort of narrow sense to describe what Matthew Arnold would later call the best which has been thought and said in the world, what today we might call high culture. And sometimes we still use the word like that today, where we say someone is cultured, and what we mean is they're refined and they have sort of a high culture. That's how the word was originally used for quite some time. But as early as the mid-19th century, the new field of anthropology began to use this idea and broaden its definition to designate all forms of human behavior within a society, not just limited to the high, refined aspects of culture, although that category still exists, which I'll talk about in a moment. But they began to use it more broadly to describe all sorts of customs and behaviors of people as members of society, including what we might also call folk culture, which I'll talk about more in a moment, and pop culture, which I'll talk about more in a moment. British anthropologist Edward Tyler is credited for really the first influential use of the term in this way, in this broad sense, 
when in 1871 he defined culture this way, that complex whole which includes knowledge, belief, art, morals, law, customs, and any other capabilities and habits as a member of society. So in other words, as it is commonly used today, really stemming from Tyler's definition, culture refers to the common behavioral patterns of a group of people. And that includes everything common to a society, a people's arts, their language, their customs, their rituals. And it's really this anthropological understanding of culture as the totality of human practices in a society that has become the predominant definition and use of the idea among all people in society today, and even Christians, Christians and non-Christians alike, use that word culture really to refer to all aspects of human behavior in society. So it's an idea that is not really rooted in scripture per, per se. It's rooted in, in philosophy and anthropological discussions. And adopting the anthropological definition of culture is not necessarily problematic for Christians. There, it, there are many philosophical categories that we adopt as helpful ways of thinking through things. And this anthropological category of culture is a helpful way of thinking through the way humans behave as a member of society. However, as Christians, we do need to be careful that we make sure that Scripture informs that category. Scripture informs that understanding of culture. So the question for us as Christians then becomes, what in Scripture, what principles and what ideas should influence and inform the way that we think through this anthropological idea of culture? Well, I would suggest that the parallel idea in Scripture to the anthropological notion of culture is that of social behavior. Anything in Scripture that addresses how we behave as members of a society should impact the way that we think about this anthropological category of culture. And of course, that's something about which the Bible has much to say. For example, when addressing the matter of behavior, New Testament authors admonish Christians, such as Peter in 1 Peter 1.15, be holy in all your conduct, your behavior. And certainly we would say that includes the common social behaviors as a member of society, our culture. And that for Christians, Peter says in verse 18 of the same chapter, is in contrast to the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So apparently there are ways of behavior that are futile, and instead, as Christians, we need to make sure that our behavior as members of society is holy. New Testament authors identify human labor, what we do, both the act within a society and what we produce, as objects of God's judgment, Romans 2.6. So these are things that God assesses for their value and as an honorable endeavor. What we do as members of society can be done in such a way that it leads believers to glorify God, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says. So defining culture in this way as behavioral patterns as a member of society helps us to understand how we as Christians should relate to culture biblically. And what we come to realize is then that our beliefs and our values and the beliefs and values of people in societies are intricately connected with the patterns of behavior in a society, the culture. Philosopher Roger Scruton, who recently just passed away but wrote very helpfully on this topic, 
He said culture is, quote, a shared spiritual force, which is manifest in all the customs, beliefs, and practices of a people. He says it is a demonstration of a belief system. Really, culture is religion externalized. It is the way that we manifest through our behavior what we value and believe at the core of our being. And that's certainly a a biblical idea. The scriptures teach that our behavior, the way that we live, the way that we act, is a reflection of what we believe. That's certainly true for individual behavior, but that's no less true for common social behavior, what we might call culture. This follows closely T.S. Eliot's classic argument in his book on Christianity and culture, Notes Toward a Definition of Culture, where he says that no culture can appear or develop except in relation to a religion. There is an intricate connection between beliefs and values on the one hand and behavioral patterns in society, culture, on the other hand. Culture flows out of and reflects the religious commitments, beliefs, and values of a people group And it does so as it is cultivated over long spans of time. I mean, the very term culture illustrates the long-term progressive cultivation of something over time as it's nurtured and, and influenced by the environment in which it grows. Cultural forms, in the same way, are natural products of the environment in which they're nurtured the value system, the belief system. And so all cultural forms, all cultural behaviors, patterns of behaviors within a society are expressions of value systems. And so what this means for us as Christians is that we need to view culture as not something neutral. Culture is fundamentally religious. Cultures develop in value systems, often not necessarily deliberately or consciously, We simply go about our lives, we interact with others as members of society, we produce practical tools, we create art, and we're often unaware of how our worldview, how our beliefs, how our theology, how our value system is affecting everything that we do. But it is, and this is a biblical concept. What we believe and what we value influences and affects how we live and how we behave. And that is no less true when we talk about something like culture. Well, in a minute, I want to talk about, with that framework in mind, how to think through various categories of culture that exist in our common society today. But first, I want to highlight a hymn that I want to recommend to you, a wonderful hymn on our love for God. It's a hymn called, My God, I Love Thee, attributed to Francis Xavier in the 16th century, later translated into English by Edward Caswall as part of the Oxford Movement. But a wonderful hymn that expresses our love for God and the fact that we do not love God simply for what we get from him. We don't love God simply because we get to go to heaven. We don't love God simply because of the the, the rewards or the blessings. No, we love God because of what he did for us, what Christ did for us on the cross. We love God simply because of who he is. The first stanza reads, My God, I love thee, not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet for fear that loving not I might forever die, but for that thou didst all mankind upon the cross embrace, for us didst bear the nails and spear and manifold disgrace. The second stanza goes on to to recount the the realities of what Christ did for us on the cross as as a way to grow and increase our love for him. And then it continues in the final stanza. Why do we love him? Not with hope of gaining aught or seeking a reward, 
But as thyself hast loved me, O ever-loving Lord, even so I love thee, and will love, and in thy praises will sing. Why? Solely because thou art my God and my eternal King. Wonderful expression of our love for God. Uh, A common tune that is sung to this text is a tune called King's Fold, and it's a fitting tune for our discussion today because it was originally an English folk tune that was recorded and harmonized by Rafe Von Williams in 1906. Von Williams was the music editor for the English hymnal in that year, and Von Williams is well known for scouring the English countryside, collecting folk music of the day in order to preserve it both in his classical art music, his high art music, which we'll talk about in a moment, and in the hymns of the English hymnal. And that's exactly what I want to move to talking about here for a few moments. We talk a lot about culture, but there are categories of culture. And historically, there have been two general categories within the history of humankind. On the one hand is folk culture. Folk culture are the common behavioral patterns of the normal people as a member of society. On the other hand is high culture. This is the the art music and the more refined cultural aspects of a uh, community throughout history. And all societies have had, to one degree or another, Uh, various forms of folk culture and high culture. But later in human history, another category of culture developed largely due to the rise of the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution, which is often said to have begun with the development of steam power in the early 1800s, had a significant impact upon culture and then consequently on the church and society and behavioral patterns. As technological advancements made communication and travel easier, local folk cultures quickly began to lose their distinctiveness as what was originally called mass culture began to emerge. This is exactly what Von Williams saw happening in his day. Pop culture was on the rise, and he realized folk culture is beginning to be overshadowed by pop culture, and so he and others began to to go around the countryside recording as much of the folk culture as they possibly could in order to preserve it because they knew it wasn't long before the mass culture was overshadowing and and in that sense destroying the possibility of folk culture. This newly formed pop culture had as its core mass appeal and commercial interests. The ideas of new or contemporary became axiomatic values because since technology was raising the value of human society, people began to say, well, new must be by very definition better. I think C.S. Lewis helpfully explains how as a result of the rise of machines and the rise of technology and the rise of science and and, and mass communication, he says what other ages would have called permanence now simply became old and outdated. And so people began to look at things like folk culture and even traditional high culture with a little bit of suspicion. That's outdated. That's old. Instead, new must by definition be better. So what we have today are really three distinct cultural streams, high culture, folk culture, and mass or pop culture. Or maybe a a helpful way to think through it is cultivated culture, communal culture culture, which is the nature of folk art, and commercial culture. Cultivated culture is the high culture built on classical models. 
communal culture is the vernacular culture of a people, and then commercial culture is the popular culture of the marketplace. Regardless of what terms you use, these kinds of cultural categories are important to recognize. Well, in a minute, I want to talk about one really practical value of thinking through culture in this way. But first, I want to recommend a book that deals with this uh, topic uh, uh, very helpfully. It's a book by Ken Myers called All God's Children and Blue Suede Shoes, Christians and Popular Culture. It was published in, uh, first in 1989 by Crossway and really has become sort of a classic book dealing with the issue of how Christians should relate to culture and in particular how Christians should relate to popular culture. Myers does a great job in articulating the difference between, on the one hand, what he calls traditional culture, and that, that, that is folk culture, high culture, which we've talked about, and then popular or mass culture. And on page 120 of this book, he has a really helpful chart in which he lays side by side the differences between popular culture on the one hand and traditional and high culture on the other hand. And as Christians, this is important for us to think through, particularly when we begin to talk about the relationship between the Christian religion, Christian worship, Christian hymnody, and these various aspects of culture. Here, for instance, is one very practical way this works, works itself out. Often, people tend to confuse popular culture, mass culture, with folk culture, assuming that they're the same thing, assuming that there has always been pop culture. So you'll hear things like this. Well, Luther used the pop culture of the day when he adopted the music of his day for his German hymnody. And so the question is, well, did did Luther borrow from the music of the day? Well, yes, he did. He borrowed from the German folk culture. However, it is incorrect to equate that with the later development of pop culture, which didn't even exist in Luther's day. There was no such thing as pop culture in his day. The Industrial Revolution hadn't taken place. Mass media wasn't uh, a reality. Pop culture wasn't a reality in Luther's day. Instead, what he was using, what he was adopting, was the folk music, the folk tunes, the folk culture of the day. And that's traditionally been the case. Folk culture is a wonderful source, as von Williams recognized, as Luther recognized, as many Christians and and hymn writers have recognized. Folk culture is a wonderful source for tunes that are singable, that are accessible to the average people, but also that have a permanence and value to them. And so it's important to recognize these categories and to recognize that we live in a different situation really than Luther lived in, for example. We live in a situation where there's not just folk culture highly influenced by Christian values and high culture highly influenced by Christian values. No, now post-enlightenment and in particular post-industrial revolution, we are living in a time when now folk culture is largely non-existent because of the rise of mass culture. High culture has sort of left any connection to Christian values in the church and sort of has gone off on its own trajectory. And mass culture now is being influenced by heavily by secular values, by mass appeal, by commercialism, and we need to recognize and evaluate it from that point of view. If we remember that culture is always a manifestation, always an externalization of values and beliefs, 
then as Christians, our approach should be to assess what is culture expressing? What are these various cultural forms embodying in terms of values and belief and evaluate those aspects of culture before we simply and uncritically adopt them and adapt them into the church? We may find that there are aspects of cultural expressions around us that are valuable expressions of sentiments perfectly consistent with Christian holiness. But on the other hand, we have to be willing to recognize that in many cases we might find expressions of culture that are actually inconsistent with what we believe as Christians. We need to be cultural exegetes, assessing the meaning and embodied value of cultural expressions to determine whether or not what we are adopting and adapting into the church is consistent with what we truly believe as Christians. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on iTunes or other podcasting services. And as I mentioned earlier, please share the podcast on social media and give us a rating if you enjoy the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Mm-hmm.